day from the Global Lane, America's former religious freedom ambassador and the country that bothers him the most as a top violator of religious rights. It bothers me because they're testing the future of oppression. Now a new task. Ambassador Sam Brownback shifts his focus to religious liberty violations on the home front. We're losing ground here at home. That's going to have ramifications all over the world because everybody watches here. COVID origins. Nearly three years later, a new poll reveals what Americans think. Most Americans believe in a very common sense way that the Chinese did this. Who decides when to pull the plug? This British mother's struggle to keep her 12-year-old son alive. And there's only one person that has the right to take life, and that's the person that gave you it. And it's all right here on The Global Lane. In many countries, Christians, Jews, and even Muslims are denied the opportunity to freely practice their faith. And here in the USA, the First Amendment right to pray publicly, live out faith in business or on the job, has come under fire. Well, here to discuss more is the former U.S. Ambassador for Religious Freedom, Sam Brownback. Ambassador Brownback now serves as chairman of the recently created National Committee for Religious Freedom. Always good to see you. We go way back. Yeah, we do. You were reminded about that. Uh, 1996 at the Kansas State Fair yeah. when I was running for the U.S. Senate. That's a, that's a delight to remember back on those uh, hairy days when I'm first getting into the United States Senate. And it's a tough battle, but made it in and I was able to move on forward with a political life. Well, I, I want to ask you about that. When you, when you first started in the Senate, and even before that, you were in the House for a, a term. Um, when did this passion and this commitment to religious freedom really began? And, and who was responsible? Did Frank Wolf encourage that, or did you already have that? No, you know, it was, uh, I was just elected in 1996. Uh, 1997, I went into the Senate, and there was a lady that um, uh, came in, started working in my office, Sharon Pate. And she had been working with different people around the world that had been persecuted for their faith previously. And this is back when the field was very small. There was hardly anybody working in this space. And she would tell me stories about people being persecuted in South Sudan for their faith or uh, other different places. And I would just go, what, really, that's going on? And I said, hey, bring people in. And, and so she'd start bringing people into the office. And I think I really got hooked when, um, I was at, uh, uh, I, I was back home. I was going to one of my kids' softball games, and I get a call from Sharon that we had just gotten somebody out of jail in Uzbekistan, a missionary that had been in jail in Uzbekistan because of being a Christian and advocating for Jesus there, and said our advocacy got him out of jail. And it was just like I got hooked then. I thought, you mean I can work in a public policy arena and help people for their religious freedom somewhere around the world, I'm in. And uh, you were all in. I was all in then because I thought, what a great way to use a, a public position for people to be able to practice their God-given right to religious freedom to do with their own soul what they see fit. And to me, the, the religious freedom is a human right of the soul. Uh, it's deeper than the others. It's, it's just, it's more personal. Uh, and I, I, I really think it's just such a key right we've got to defend. And I would travel up to the Hill and interview you on occasion concerning South Sudan. And I think you and Frank Wolf and others in Washington, also CBN, putting it out there, uh, encouraged the church to get involved, the church community, Christians in America. And now we have a country. South Sudan is a country. Sure, they have problems, but that was a success story. You move on after Governor 
of Kansas. You become uh, the religious freedom ambassador for President Trump. Uh, a lot of successes. You had the first ministerial. That was your doing. Tell me, were there any disappointments, though? Well, glory be to God. And the big disappointment is how how much there is still so persecution going on to people of faith around the world. There's more Christian persecution going on in the world today than any time in Christian history. Uh, and there's so many different permeations of Christian persecution and of religious persecution, for that matter. There's religious nationalism in place. There's just mob violence in places. There's direct uh, persecution of certain faiths in other places. The big disappointment is just how much religious persecution there still is going on around the world. And are there any countries right now that you still lose sleep over? Well, you know, being a man of faith, I try to sleep pretty well, distrusting God, but China really bothers me. And it, it, it bothers me because they're testing the future of oppression, this high-tech future where everybody's under a camera and the government has all your genetic samples and they're moving to digitize the currency so there's not a physical currency so they could, they could literally shut your money off. Big brother, truly. Completely. If they decide we don't like you or we don't like how you practice your faith, we don't like what you believe, money's turned off. Wow. Yeah. And that's, and that's what's coming when, you, when they are moving to digitize their currency. And, and then they won't stop with just China. They're going to spread that to every place around the world that they can, these sort of controlling systems, particularly to dictatorships and autocratic governments. They're going to be spreading this. So... We've got a huge confrontation well, with China. Are, are we doing enough then to counter that? I mean, I know President Trump made it a priority, religious freedom around the world. How about this administration? Do you think they're falling short? And if so, uh, what could they do about it? I think they're falling short. I wish they weren't. Uh, they're doing more than other some other administrations have. But th this, this issue is being so... Uh, there's so much religious persecution around the world, and it's such a central human right. This administration says, well, all human rights are equal. Uh, and I look at this one as a foundational one, a, a, a cornerstone one. You get this one right, you can build your other human rights off of it. Uh, and, you know, they don't, they don't look at it uh, that way. They are uh, doing some good work in places, but you're about to have in Afghanistan... Uh, a religious genocide. You're going to have a genocide of everybody that doesn't believe Sunni Islam the way the, the Taliban uh, believes. They're, they're hunting them down now. Yeah. And I don't think we're doing near enough to confront issues like that or Nigeria. I think we need, and I think we need to do a lot more confronting China. Coming up, more on religious freedom with Ambassador Sam Brownback, who explains why he's shifted his focus from the world to the home front. More now with former U.S. Ambassador for Religious Freedom, Sam Brownback. So you've moved now towards domestic. Why did you form the National Committee for Religious Freedom? After years working on international religious freedom, uh, what I started to observe is we're losing ground here at home. And this is the mothership uh, for religious freedom. If the United States moves off of this or, or declines in its religious freedom, that's going to have ramifications all over the world because everybody watches here. This is the standard setter. Uh, so if you start losing ground about uh, what you can do in a, 
uh, in a, a church-affiliated club at a university, uh, a public university. If you start having big business crowd in uh, on your religious beliefs or big government, and that stands and it sticks here, that will start taking place in many places around the world. So we've got to really start standing up for religious freedom. And this is your constitutional right. This isn't something, you know, just uh, esoteric or uh, unusual. This is in your First Amendment right of free exercise. You can freely practice your faith as long as you're peaceful at whatever your beliefs are in this country. And we've got to stand up and fight for it. Still, there have been many court cases. Now, the Supreme Court dealt with three main religious freedom cases uh, this past term. Of course, one of the most popular uh, was the uh, the prayer case with Joe Kennedy. Uh, he can actually pray. He was they, they erred when they fired him for praying after football games on the football field publicly. But let me ask you about courts, because it seems like this always ends up in court. Is there a way that we can prevent this? these type of cases from going to court? I mean, what responsibility do we have uh, on the state and local levels? What can we do about it where we don't have to fight these legal battles? We can elect people that believe in religious freedom. We've stood up this uh, National Committee for Religious Freedom, and if people want to look at that website, it's thencrf.org, thencrf.org. But they can, they can start electing people to the school boards where Joe Kennedy works that stand for religious freedom. We've got uh, on there a candidate pledge uh, that people can pledge to stand for religious freedom. We need to elect more school board members, more city council members, more state legislators and federal legislators, uh, even a president. That supports religious freedom. Uh, and that's what this organization is about, really, is identifying those people that are for religious freedom, opposing those that are against it on a state, local, federal basis so we can start having people in the public space that are standing up and defending the free exercise clause. Uh, and remember, the free exercise clause, this all started in Virginia. Yeah. Uh, religious freedom started here. Uh, we've got to defend it here. We've got to start pursuing and, and standing up for it more. How about getting into schools and universities and, and really teaching younger adults and young people uh, the meaning of the Constitution and the rights that they actually do have and why we have those rights? Do you, do you think we're lacking in that? Oh, completely. And it's such a beautiful right. Yeah. You know, it, the, the religious freedom allows America to become America because you had 13 colonies that had different religious beliefs. They had come from a continent where you killed each other off of different sectors of the Christian faith. And so they come here and they're going, well, are we going to have a Church of America? No, 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 we're not going to have a Church of America because that's had where we had so much division in Europe. But you're going to have the right to freely exercise your faith. So if you want to be a Baptist, an Episcopalian, if you want to be a Jew, you want to be this, that, you can freely exercise your faith. And this beautiful right then allowed these 13 different colonies to come together as one people. And it's what allows us to have a nation of every sort of different faith in the world is that this thing that's so deep within you, your pursuit of God, you can freely do that the way you see fit. We have Amish near my hometown, and they don't go to, to a school past a certain age uh, that the state requires. We found a way to accommodate them and to make this work. And praise God, we have Amish people. I mean, this is, we need to talk about the beauty of religious freedom. And I think too often we 
<clears throat> we talk about the fight, but we don't talk about the beauty of what it allows in a pluralistic society. The positive side of it. Yes. Uh, finally, I, I just would like to explore this whole idea of I'm sure your or new organization, you would like to see the day arrive where the organization doesn't exist because there's no need for it. That's right. Do you think that will ever arrive? I can't foresee it right now. Um, you know, I mean, th th this is a basic constitutional right that everybody in this country has. Uh, and yet we're seeing schools push in against it. We're seeing businesses push in against it. Um, it just seems like we're going to have to fight for this basic, basic right, lovingly uh, fight for it. Uh, but people have a free exercise right. And I, I really think that if, if government and business can look at this from the positive standpoint, that when people are pursuing their religious freedom, they're really pursuing the formation of their soul. They're pursuing something to make them a better person. Uh, and we should encourage that. We should be behind that. This country of great freedoms requires individual governance. And most people do that through a set of beliefs, a set of values, um, a religion, a faith, the following of Jesus. So I, I really hope we can start looking at this from the positive standpoint. But I think we're going to have to fight for this for a while. Well, faith, action, and a lot of prayer. Yes. That's what it'll take. Ambassador Brownback, thank you for being with us. My pleasure. A new national poll shows 60% of Americans questioned believe the Chinese Communist Party deliberately unleashed the COVID pandemic on the world. The same percentage, 60%, say China should be held accountable for the deaths of more than 1 million Americans. More than 6 million people have perished with the virus worldwide. Economies have been devastated. Well, here to explain the poll commissioned by the Committee on the Present Danger, China, is CPDC Chairman Brian Kennedy. Brian, I'm sure Dr. Fauci and other critics of the lab leak theory say it's just that, only a theory. What do you say? Well, uh, great to be with you, Gary. Um, most Americans have, have uh, common sense. And when they hear that the virus emanated near the Wuhan Institute of Virology, most Americans put two and two together and think, well, this may not have been intentional, it may have been accidental, but it certainly came from China, and China let that virus spread from Wuhan to the rest of the world. And so most Americans, as the poll suggests, believe, in a, again, in a very common sense way, that the Chinese did this, and that's not controversial. And the real shame is that there are Americans like Dr. Fauci or Pfizer or any of these big uh, corporations, big pharma, that cover for the Chinese Communist Party. Brian, what are the chances we'll ever arrive at the truth about this? Well, in many ways, I think we have arrived at the truth about this. The odds of it coming, as between a laboratory that's doing research on coronaviruses and a wet market, and it coming from the wet market, the odds of that are, are very, very remote. Regardless, though, of whether or not it came from the laboratory or the wet market, we know definitively that knowing it was spreading throughout Hubei province in China, we know for an absolute fact that the Chinese closed down Hubei province so that 
it would not spread from Hubei province through the rest of China. But they let, they let flights go from Wuhan to the rest of the world, knowing that this virus would spread. They did that on purpose, intentionally. Now, if that's not an act of biowarfare, I'm not sure what is. If you're going to close it down for the rest of China, why not close it down for the rest of the world? They did that on purpose. And I would add a, a very important point here. In May of 2019, the Chinese Communist Party declared a people's war against the United States. And we're making the argument in this book, regardless of the origin, it went intentionally to the United States. And the United States has suffered the consequence to this day, and we've done nothing to hold the Chinese to account. Well, then how likely is it that another viral outbreak similar to this one, or worse than this, may intentionally be unleashed on the world? Well, I think the Chinese have seen that this kind of, you know, they had a, they had a doctrine back in 1999 that they, two, two colonels wrote a book called Unrestricted Warfare, where they talk about using all sorts of things in order to put China as the master dominant power on earth. And they talk about chemical warfare, biological warfare, computer warfare, terrorism, even atomic warfare. So they have this, this array of things they could do. There's no reason given our response, when I say our response, we Americans, there's no reason to believe that having seen what we did the first time with COVID-19, that they wouldn't use this again to try to shut down the U.S. economy, to kill the American people, and I would say even more importantly, to demoralize the United States. They want to demoralize us because we're a free people, and they, they want to demoralize us because we're a religious people. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the power of our Christian faith. What did COVID-19 do, among other things, but drive us from churches? And that has done more, it seems to me, to demoralize this country than anything else. It wasn't just the loss of life. We're all going to die someday. But to have us live the way we've done, we have for the last two years, especially that first year where we couldn't go to church, where we couldn't meet our neighbors, where we couldn't visit with family. That's the kind of thing that demoralizes a free people. And I think that's what communist China had on its mind when it went and let this virus be unleashed on the United States. Okay, Brian Kennedy, chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger China, thanks for sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you, Gary. Great to be with you. Who has the final say of when to pull the plug on a comatose child? The hospital, the government, or the parent? In the United Kingdom, it's the government. Government officials and courts there have made a life and death decision, ruling that 12-year-old Archie Battersby must be taken off of life support. Doctors say he's not brain dead. After the British Supreme Court refused to grant the family an appeal of the government's decision, Archie's family filed an 11th-hour application with the European Court of Human Rights. They maintain that stopping Archie's treatment would be in breach of the U.K.'s obligations under the U.N. Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities and the Convention on the Rights of Children.
Young Archie was found unconscious in his room last spring. People around the world are praying for Archie and encouraging his mom, Holly Dance, who explains more about the condition of her precious boy. Archie, you're going to pull through this, man. My prayers are with you and the family out there. Come on, Archie, pull through. Everyone knows what a fighter Archie is. His body's in trauma. He wasn't only without oxygen. You know, his body's in severe trauma. It's, he needs time. He's eating, he's weighing, going to the toilet. You know, if he was dead, you can't feed a corpse, can you? He's still healing. Um, he's held my hand. I've got a video of him gripping two fingers. My fingers are bright red where he's squeezing them so tight. He's in there. He's in there, and I just believe that he needs a chance to heal. He needs time. This is obviously him now. Obviously, I'm aware it's a brain injury and I'm aware of what could potentially be the outcome of that brain injury. I am very realistic, but also think he deserves a fighting chance. I will not give up on my child. I won't give up on any of my children. It's, as far as I'm concerned, there's only one person that has the right to take life, and that's the person that gave you it. You know, and that's God, it's not a doctor. Amen. The giver of life. God gives and God takes it away. How precious life is. Every moment with family, friends, you never know when it will end, folks. Parents in these situations or anyone facing this decision for a family member must be guided by the Holy Spirit about when to pull that plug. God, not government, should be involved in that decision. Only after consulting medical professionals and much prayer should the decision be made, not forcibly, but willingly. The rest is up to God whether the person taken off life support should live or die. There have been many miraculous medical turnarounds, and we've featured some of them over the years on the 700 Club. So keep praying for young Archie and his family. The God's will, not the government's, is done. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.